Welcome to the Musical Communication Podcast. I'm your host, Marianne Ploger, and during these podcasts, I'm looking forward to being able to explore all aspects of what it is to be musical, whether that is how we can be more musical as musicians or how we can understand why we love music and why we think it's musical or why it isn't. So we'll be exploring everything from how to perform music, how to listen to music, as well as aspects of music perception perception and cognition. Hi friends, welcome to another episode of the Musical Communication Podcast. My name is Karen and I am your producer and I am sitting here with your lovely host Marianne. Hi Karen. Hi Marianne. Are you excited for today? I am always excited but even especially today. Yes, it's going to be a spicy episode. I already feel it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So first of all, thank you all for listening um, and for, you know, all the feedback and just the amazing reception of this podcast. We're very, very grateful. Um, And like I mentioned before, if you think of it, please leave us a review on Apple Music. You just head over to Apple Music or iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, Scroll down on the podcast episodes and you're able to see five stars. Go ahead and click those and then just write us a review. Let us know what you like about the podcast. Um, maybe any feedback, anything you want to share. Um, that's one of the main ways where folks can find the podcast. So today's episode um, is going to be about money <laughs> and musicians and, uh, you know, probably some echoes around that starving artist mentality that we've all been familiar with and experienced in some degrees. Um, so take it away, Marianne. Okay. Thanks, Karen. Well, yes, I, I call it a poverty mentality. So uh, I think all of us recognize it in the music field. When I taught privately, I started to teach at the rate of about $8 an hour. That quickly got cranked up to all of $10 an hour. And this is way back though in 1979 or 80. And uh, then, you know, it gradually eke its way up, but I didn't want to charge too much because I was really concerned my students were University of Michigan students, undergrads or grad students. And so I knew that there there wasn't a lot of money out there. Plus, they were already spending money on their tuition, which was a whole lot less then than it is now. So ultimately, I was quite aware of, of the difficulties of money and the whole attitude about music. And yet I was on my own and had my own business and I had to support my habit, that is my teaching habit, and uh, my little, what I called hovel in Ann Arbor, tiny little house. So it was a problem because of the fact that I had to teach a lot to be able to afford to live on my own. I didn't have any insurance, no insurance until I was married, which was when I was 30 years old. So uh, of course I had to have car insurance, but I definitely had no health insurance. I just had to stay well. That's all there was to it. There was no option here. So I certainly know what it is to live in that way. And I am not sorry. Because the fact that I had to have that many students meant that I had that many hours to learn what I needed to learn. So I think it was a real blessing. So I wasn't going to charge much. The rates gradually had gone up before I came to Vanderbilt. And in the academic world, because I worked for a private institution, I received a very beautiful and generous paycheck for which I am very grateful. 
to this day still. So of course I retired now for a year and a half, but ultimately what I noticed in academia is there's a kind of a, a crisis. So here I graduate past my undergraduate and graduate students studying with me independent of the university. When I was still in Ann Arbor, I was employed part-time to teach the graduate students there, and I was paid very little. But on the other hand, I wasn't teaching that much either. I, you know, I was probably only teaching, what, maybe four to eight hours a week eventually, and so I got a decent paycheck for that. And I was always teaching privately as well, so it was fine. But when I got to Vanderbilt, there is another kind of poverty mentality, and that is how musicians are treated within the academic environment. So whereas my dean, Mark Waite, was very, very generous uh, in support of the people who worked on the faculty there, uh, very soon it became clear that when the economy dipped in 2008, things happened. And I became aware of another kind of poverty mentality, and that is musicians just don't contribute enough so the university isn't willing to spend money uh, for certain things, kinds of research on music. Uh, They were unwilling to explore options that had to do with how we learn and process music because it wasn't considered to be beneficial enough. And so what I realized is that in academic circles, in music, I think that we run into a problem. And the problem is here that I think that it looks like music training is self-serving. And how is music contributing to the greater benefit of society? And I think that's where the rubber meets the road. If you cannot prove that you're doing something that really impacts the whole culture in some real way, not some airy-fairy way, but some real way, you can't compete for the monies. At least that's what my perception was and has been. You can't compete with the medical community who's coming up, thankfully, with cancer cures, uh, antivirus vaccines, medical procedures that save people's lives. It's very hard for the people in literature and in other academic fields that it's so important, such important work, and yet it isn't valued economically. So, of course, there is a kind of a uh, poverty mentality because how do you prove the benefits of your program, your music program? So it was very pervasive there within the institution. So while I was getting paid nicely, it's like, yeah, but my research isn't moving forward. So, well, you know, it's because those people in otolaryngology are looking into deafness and to speech therapies. They're not looking into how we process musical <laughs> dichords, you know. Yeah. Um, There's some research that was very modest that was going into rhythm, but it, it's tough. So in other words, I think we get the poverty mentality, whether we're in the academic realm, the ivory tower, or if we're outside. Being the starving artist, as you were saying, you know, trying to come up with your next gig, with how do you get enough money to pay your rent and avoid sleeping on the floor when you are playing, you know, going to an out of town gig, which I just heard about recently Mm -hmm. uh, from someone. So the mentality, though, is I think the problem. So uh, I don't know how many of you folks out there are familiar with this idea of essentially precipitating 
your fortune. That is, to, that what happens to you is something that you're creating at a level that's more than just material. So it's called entanglement and quantum mechanics, you might have heard, and mm-hmm. that idea that things happen when you put them into action in your thoughts. All right. So in, I feel, because I'm, I'm no physicist, and I don't want to get too deeply into this, but I would say that we have to be careful that we're not just creating a scenario where we fail and where we're poor. So in my own work, it was an advantage for me to be modest, to not charge too much because I was learning and I shouldn't have been charging because I was just three steps ahead of my students Mm. and I wouldn't charge more until I had knowledge or understanding, okay? So the value was probably more than I charged. On the other hand, I felt like it was appropriate. It was just and correct. So what I find now is that it's very, very important that we value the right things and that in a capitalistic system, which we exist at this time in history, that that value is is equated with pay, with how much money, that that money, as somebody has said in the past, I don't remember what wonderful modern person said this, but basically money equals value and energy. So for me at this time, I've been charging a very modest amount, but I think that all of us musicians need to be putting out the idea that that music is valuable and let's find out how valuable it is. Let's demonstrate it in some way. Uh, and let's, let's try to therefore send out a message that is that we have value and we deserve to be paid for that value. And it's a value that transcends measurement necessarily. But for sure, what we have to be careful about in my own area, this is how I'm now talking personally, what I find happens is that people will often be penny wise and pound foolish as this as the saying mm-hmm. goes. They'll say, Well, I can't afford to to I probably can't afford to study this subject. Um, because I've got this gig over here where I can earn money and I just don't have time. I've got to be spending time over here doing this or I've got to spend money over here doing this or doing that. It's very understandable, especially in that I'm I'm suggesting a, a field that's wholly new. I understand that. At the same time, I think that what we want to be able to understand is whether you work with me or whatever, value what's truly important value your training, value great music, value great music making, do whatever you can to increase your value in the culture. And that means really knowing your stuff and music wherever you get it. But that is what you should value. Now here comes the controversial part. How many thousands of dollars do we spend on courses in college that actually mean very little and have very little true value. 
But that's up to each of us to determine that. And may I say, for some people, a class might be very valuable. For another person, it may not be. So I I'd say that, and I mean that. But I think we need to be reconsidering what are the values in our musical training. Is going through a four-year program or a six-year program or an eight-year program where you get done and you still can't recognize a musical interval instantly? You still cannot play by ear with, with ease? You still cannot read a score if you're a conductor with ease and hear it and understand it? What is the financial expenditure to the value? Mm -hmm. And we need to fix that in academia or else I think we're it's going to go under and I I know some people who are deans of music schools and directors um, you know we have to change that we have to determine what are the values mm -hmm. and but we have to start with the idea that it has value what is the value and then we need to get out of that poverty mentality that we're never going to it's never going to be better we have to we have to create a positive sense that music will become as valued as certainly restaurants mm -hmm. <laughs> or food uh, diet nutrition it'll become perhaps even more uh, important than that and in influencing health and well-being but we have to invest in that and to have that we have to start with the fact that we are a value as musicians music is a value and that we it's worth it and we're worth it and uh, get out of the oh if I'm not starving I'm not really an artist mm, yeah <laughs> Ooh, that's so good <laughs> well, well you know being a little removed as of the last 10 years from music school and in the music space entirely I feel like it's one of the few professions that does not value continuing education as much as others. Mm -hmm. Like in other circles where I'm a part of, whether it's an Enneagram community or business or personal development, it's a requirement mm -hmm. to continue teaching. Mm -hmm. Like I have invested probably a master's degree worth of uh, financial resources into this Enneagram certification. And as I'm about to culminate that, you know, three and a half year journey at this point, uh, the feedback I'm getting from my coaches is like, and what are you doing next to continue developing and cultivating this newfound presence? Right. You've just scratched the surface of yes. what is actually possible. And thinking about the personal transformation as a result of that continuing education, first of all, it's incredibly overwhelming to be like, what do you mean I'm just scratching the surface? Of course, and I'm very aware of that, very similar to music where you never arrive, but also there's an excitement and there's this like newfound passion for continuing to cultivate yes. that. And of course, my resources must go to that because that is life-giving. It's not soul-sucking. Exactly. And I'm not doing it because somebody's telling me to do it or to get a paper because who cares? Yeah, like, exactly. I don't even know where my college degrees are. <laughs> I just discovered mine after it disappearing for 20 years. <laughs> yes. No, I, I think that's really it. And uh, we're always continuing to learn. But I think that doesn't that come from perhaps in college, the attitude in, in academia or music training, that you take a class and then it's done. Right. And then you go to the next class. But it's not done. Like you said, you barely scratch the surface, and especially if it has value. Yeah. 
You're not going to get things of real value fast and without attention and love and commitment and devotion. Mm -hmm. It's not going to happen. Sorry. Yeah. (laughs) So, and you know, I have a, a quick story. So I took, I don't think I've told you this, Marianne, I took my Enneagram final about six weeks ago. And again, I've been studying this for the last three and a half years and aware of it for the last six. And I failed. I failed my final. And um, it was Unreal. incredibly shocking. Um, that was all my ego. And it wasn't actually in hindsight. Um, and it was the most beautiful failure of my life <laughs> because this coach was like, you know, it's, it's understood that you know the material but you don't feel confident in it. And what's the point of you moving forward if you're not confident in the material you know so well? So why don't you take a step back, spend another six weeks, work with this other coach who specializes in these things, practice with people. You need to do this at least 20 more times and then come back to me. And I won't even charge you, just come back and do it again because I want you to feel good. And that just made me think to all the freaking music juries I took where I just musically fell down the stairs. You know, my pianist finished before I did and, you know, things like that <laughs> in the saxophone repertoire, which is, you know, the worst um, to do that with. Um, you can't hide at that point. And to just experience all the shame and all the just quit. You're not good enough. Or like, why aren't you practicing enough? Or what's wrong with you? Or blah, blah, blah. That just like fed into like the the mean coach in my head and to like all the causes of error in my life and (laughs) (laughs) just like thinking about and of course I was devastated and embarrassed and like my ego was bruised and totally had a tantrum about it you know after but upon further reflection and even experiencing this last six weeks it was so transformation transformational and it was so pivotal and it made me want to learn more Mm -hmm. so my finals this coming week and I'm not afraid of what's going to happen because if I'm not ready, I'm not ready, Mm -hmm. but I feel ready in a different way. And it's never like that certification just gives me the the credibility and the credentials in my line of work to speak with authority. But even though I will have that credibility, the paper signifies that I don't have all the answers Mm -hmm. and that I'm there seeking Mm -hmm. with whoever I get to talk to. Right. And that just felt so much more beautiful and in a way healing for my musical journey to to see that it's impossible for those professors and those faculty members to have given me that time of day because they weren't present themselves. Mm-hmm. And to also experience what it's like to learn from a place of love instead yes. of fear. Yes. And how much more impactful that actually was. Exactly. And yes. it just makes me excited for whatever, you yeah. know, is that next thing to come. Absolutely. But you see, the value is really in, in the love and the creativity and and um, conf- the confidence is that so I was just speaking in the last podcast about that. What um, Mr. Canfield said was valor. It's like mm-hmm. the male <laughs> for us women being mm-hmm. able to have that confidence. So I think in musical training, that's a huge value is that you come out with that sense of knowing and love and excitement and a desire to learn and be better and better and better and better. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that that's everything. And it's conveyed in everything we do. Absolutely. And, you know, back to your point of also taking responsibility and accountability. Again, we're not going to hash the past, but, you know, there was a part of me too that that knew that I didn't have that training, Mm -hmm. that I was graduating from this prestigious institution without being able to call out an interval, Mm -hmm. without being able to sing back anything other than happy birthday Mm -hmm. (laughs) in tune Mm -hmm. and in time. And I also 
could have been like, hey, I need support. I need remedial training. I need to retake this class. Like I, I, I also feel now, you know, a lot of years removed from that experience where I could have taken more ownership of that, but it was that lack of presence and that hustle and that you can't afford to keep to fail and play another semester or mm-hmm. you can't afford to do blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you can't afford to not mm-hmm. because the result of that was stepping away from music. Right. Wow. No, I, I think that this is a huge problem, of course, in, in music is at the very core. If you want to be a chef and you're not confident that yeah. you can taste the ingredients. <laughs> yes. And this is what we have to change and we can change it and it could be better and better. Nothing needs to be destroyed. It will be changed mm-hmm. and some things will fall away. But, you know, there's so much potential good that could come up, but it means that we need to determine what are the important ingredients in a musical education. And this is, of course, what I would love to contribute towards. But I do think we as musicians have to, to start saying, look, I need to address that I can hear harmonies. <laughs> I, I can hear rhythms. I can hear pitches. I can love pitches. I can create with them. I can, I, I'm free to be creative. I'm free to keep growing, you know, and uh, that we need to be demanding that of mm-hmm. ourselves. But, you know, what's wonderful is you have to come away with that sense as you are with the Enneagram course of, of what it means to be confident. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to take ownership. Like my previous mentor in this Enneagram journey, I was able to bullshit them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it, it's my responsibility, but it was also maybe their lack of awareness. Mm-hmm. And thankfully it was caught yes. in time before yes. I then graduated under this illusion that I was confident in what I was doing. And I wasn't. And, and, information is not the same as transformation that's right that's right and we can get all our panties in a bunch about scores and Mahler Mm -hmm. and counterpoint and whatever but at the end of the day if you can't freaking hear it what are you doing yeah that's it and it's what it means Mm -hmm. is what it sounds like so that's the thing is if you understand about these elements you understand how it communicates and then you can make magical music no matter what Mm-hmm. The great piece of music. <laughs> I wish I could say we could transform a, a dish that is a recipe that's not good into something that is, and we can by changing it. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but yeah, that's we've got to be able to understand our ingredients, and we can now. And this is what I'm hoping to be able to do. I'd love to be in contact increasingly, as I have been, but increasingly with researchers, uh, scientists who are going to pursue this. Uh, what's going on here? What's happening? Why do we perceive these bizarre phenomena that I'm talking about in dichords, the eight hertz or the, for the dissonant intervals, four hertz for the modal and then two for the perfect. What's with that and what's happening? And, uh, it would be so fun to be able to do that. And, uh, so I'm hoping that we can, can do that. It'll make it easier for us to value what we have to offer as musicians and then to ask a fair price for that value with confidence mm-hmm. <laughs> with confidence yeah you know i've also realized in closing here um 
I can't ask people to pay me what I'm not willing to pay others. Mm-hmm. It's true. And if you don't see the value in that from somebody else, how is someone going to see it in you? That's it. And I think it probably is a closing thought here. I've said this to my students in the past. I've said, you know, you might be expending finances here now, but I can promise you, you're going to get so much more remuneration in the future because of the fact that you know what you're doing and mm-hmm. you will be a sought after musician as a result of that. So yes, let's be pound wise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> let's be smart yeah. about it. It's an investment in yourself, in your musical soul. Mm. So good. You're amazing, Marianne. Well, you're so kind. Oh, so I'm so you. excited for this. <laughs> yes. If you're listening and disagree please reach out yes oh my gosh we love that um also uh, of course if you agree and want to further the conversation we would love that as well but yes please uh give us feedback communicate with us we so value that and and again this this show is for you guys for everybody listening um this is not a a financial no uh gain here by any stretch of the imagination absolutely yeah just what karen said love to hear disagreements i love that that's Mm -hmm. the dissonance in music that we can then resolve to something beautiful and i think that's what we need yeah thanks so much for being here y'all